1: That's stamps.com code program. Hello and welcome. Hello. Thanks for being here. I'm Osha. This is Better Than Yesterday, here since 2013, having a conversation that'll make it better each and every episode by just doing that. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We're here. Mondays, Wednesdays with a guest. Fridays with you. I'm Osha. Hi. I'm a podcaster, I'm a TV host. I'm a dad, I'm a stepdad, I'm a sitting currently in a office uh, in Brisbane, because <laughs> I'm on the road right now. I'm here doing, uh, I'm doing press for The Masked Singer, so I've been traveling around the country all week. I've uh, started in Western Australia, and now I'm in Queensland, and it's been extraordinary. I've been in a different city every I day, haven't been on the road like this for a long time, and it's really, really cool, and it's so nice to see everybody, so nice to you know hang out, it's lovely. Thank you very much for the people that did send me emails, by the way. Send Osher email at gmail.com. It's really, really, really lovely. Thanks very much for, to Jen who sent me the most lovely, lovely picture of a, a lovely coastal walk listening as they walk by the ocean. Thanks for shooting that. Super cool. I love it. Just take your phone out, take a photo of what you're looking at right now as you're listening and send it to me. Send Osher email at gmail.com. Always lovely to hear from you. It's always lovely to see what you're looking at because, you know, I listen to podcasts when I'm doing stuff. You listen to podcasts when we're doing stuff. And it's fascinating. It's nice. I get to know you in a little way like that. It's nice. So I've been on the road all week and um, I've been talking with all kinds of people radio people, newspaper people, blog people, online people. I've speaking with heaps of journalists, heaps of media people. And before and after the interview, generally, generally after, I kind of, you know, I was like, okay, great, thanks for having me. I, like, can I just uh, so how's things? How's things looking here with the referendum, with the voice referendum? Because I'm interested to know as how things are looking around the country. And my heart hurts. My heart hurts. In West Australia, in South Australia, in Queensland, the sentiment is 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 quite negative, and I'm. I'm sorry to say, I don't think it has a lot to do with humanity. It seems that it's got a lot more to do with politics and that is just utterly heartbreaking. On Monday's episode, Thomas Mayo is going to join us. He's one of the signatories of the uh, Uluru Statement from the Heart. He's an extraordinary man, remarkable human being. I cannot wait for you to meet him and, and listen to what he has to say because he's he's a brilliant, brilliant fellow. He's coming in on Monday. I wanted to get him in because... This is our chance, these next few days, is our chance to show each other and show the world that we are kind people. We are kind people who recognize each other's humanity. I'm in Brisbane right now, it's had a particularly hard morning today because I went on a, a talkback station, I'm not gonna say which one, and uh, I was speaking one of the people with one of the people in charge there, we're talking off air, and I asked her about the voice. And he said, oh, no, it de- definitely won't get up. No, definitely. No. It was hard for me to hide my emotion from him. And I asked him, honestly, I said, What well, how are you going to teach your children that it is important to think of others? You know, like, don't throw your food all over the floor at Macca's. Someone's going to have to clean that. you got to think of other people. How are you going to teach them that if you don't show them that with how you vote? How are you going to instill the lesson of thinking of others, even if you don't know them, but you're a part of a community and you've got to think of other people who live around us? How are you going to show them that if that's not how you're voting? And his answer was, interesting. Oh, yeah, Albo's done a terrible job. So I thought, hang on a sec. Maybe he misunderstood my question. So I asked him again, what does it tell the world about who we are as a country if we don't recognise the humanity of some of the most vulnerable people in our community? And he wrote, Yeah. Albo has just not explained it properly. And at that point, I kind of made a bit of a joke about it. I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt because sometimes, certainly when I was in radio, one of the people I was on the radio with this morning accidentally, they said, oh, it's 24-7. And they said the name of the station they used to work at like a year ago. Uh, it just slipped out of their mouth because they you know, they go into auto mode. And I thought, maybe he's just in auto mode. Maybe he's just in, you know, you're not having a conversation with the person. You're just doing that thing. You know, so I made a bit of a joke about, mate, I used to do that. I used to, you know, do a time call and, a, and say the weather in the middle of a sentence uh, sometimes. So I asked him again, I asked him, look, what would it feel like to wake up in a country that has just voted and shown that you, you know, if you're a young kid and a young Indigenous kid, that you and everyone in your family doesn't matter enough to be recognised by your country or that. You don't matter enough that you get to have a say in matters which affect you and your community specifically. Like, how would that be, showing up to school that day? And his answer was, yeah, yeah, Albo's really messed it up. He's dividing us. It was biblical. Three times he denied it. Three times he denied it. Three times he slipped into talking points, which kind of allowed him to abdicate his personal moral responsibility to a partisan action. Because he went, yeah, yeah, I know, but elbows really... like. But what about how you feel? He wouldn't... By using that tactic, he was able to take his personal feelings and his personal humanity out of it and go, yeah, I can't... And that really freaked, freaked me out, but I got the feeling that to vote no deliberately, even though morally and ethically, it is not the right thing to do, but to vote no because it's a partisan political issue and... A person, for example, like this man, not saying that's who he is, but maybe perhaps like that, a person who cannot bring himself to vote for something that the current government thinks is a good idea, you know? And what was super hard, the hardest part of that conversation at that talkback station was that it was very, very similar to a conversation I had at another talkback station in Perth, which is a part of the same network. I'm not a cynical person. I do want to believe in the best of everyone. I really do. It was difficult for me to put those two conversations together and not have the feeling that this was a narrative that had come from higher up. I would love to believe it isn't. I really would. And a, a similar thing happened when I spoke with some other journalists this week. Because, you know, during the course of the interview, I was speaking about the voice to Parliament. I, I try to speak about. No, I don't, I don't crowbar it. In, I don't rub it in people's faces. I talk about it in a gentle way, and I try to bring it up in a, in a natural way. And both of there was two particular journalists, they both kind of, I don't know, they kind of looked down and drew circles in the sand with their big toe. And I asked them, you know, what was the tone in their office about the voice? Uh, this is once we stopped the interview. And they said, yeah, yeah, it's, it's rough. And I said, look, guys, you, you've, got, you've got more power than I do. You know, you work at this gigantic news outlet the reach of which is in the millions you have the ability to really speak about this in a way that other people can't and then there are these two separate people that i spoke with separately they work for different places they kind of basically talked along the lines of like i can't pitch a story of that angle it'll never make it past my editors and yeah maybe that sounds familiar maybe that sounds like a conversation you've had with people in your life or people in your family on Father's Day, for example, or people like friends of yours, people you work with. You can't give up. I won't give up. I will not give up. I want to be able to look my kids in the eye and tell them I did everything that I could. I read somewhere that this is a, this is a vote that will get across the line through cups of tea, not through campaigning, not through a slogan, but through cups of tea. Take the chance to have a chat with that colleague in the break room. Call up your mum and dad, go and see them, go and sit down with your nana or papa, whatever you need to do. Talk to them again, listen to them. That's the big part, listen to them. Speak your story, all right? This is something that Thomas speaks about on Monday. Speak your story, let them know why it's important to you. Bringing up people that they don't know, people in a part of the country or a part of the city that they've never been to, they're never gonna go to, people they'll never see or have never seen, bringing up that will make the choice feel so distant or so absent that it, it won't matter what you're talking about. They can be emotionally distant from it. But if you tell them from your heart why you're voting yes, that's the way. It might sound something like, um, look, you you raised me to be kind. You raised me to care about others. You raised me to not follow blindly particularly when I had a head of steam and you know chasing after the pack to not follow blindly and, and and check check if something sounded you know super amazing or super exciting or whatever just double check that you raised me as well you raised me to to know that I had to live with the consequences of my choices these are all the values that you raised in me. And I'm I'm voting yes because I tell my kids they need to be kind to each other, that they need to think of others, and they need me, they need to see me live that. And you, if anyone should know that kids don't do what you tell them, they do what you show them. And I need to show them that I am living as the person that you raised me to be, which is someone who is kind, someone who cares about others, someone who checks rumors or you know something that sounds sensational you taught me to check and double check and and see don't believe everything you read don't believe everything you hear and you taught me about you know having to live with my choices and i I want to live with that I chose to support this it might sound like that now I'm I'm sure that people I think that there's clearly a percentage of people who are unfortunately quite bigoted and and you can't change that. You can't change that. I'm sure that people might want to vote no, though, because they just don't understand. Because in a way, Radio Boss Man was was right. There has actually been very little information about what the referendum actually is. So the refresher is that Indigenous people in our country, in Australia, they need a voice to parliament because in the past, uh, governments of Australia have enacted laws that have negatively affected the lives of Indigenous people. In our country, um, like many other democracies, we ask our politicians to, to govern in the best interest of all of us, all Australians. However, politicians, yeah, they're, they're partisan people. They have different parties. They sit in ideological groups. They're driven by ideology sometimes, and sometimes decisions are made from within those ideologies. The decisions are made without input from the people who will be impacted by those decisions. And that can create distrust, disengagement from democratic processes and democratic systems. And ultimately, it's it's a a waste of time and money because you're not speaking with the people who are involved about what's the best way to do this. Uh, An example from history, recent history, would be in 2007 when the Australian government ignored the voice of indigenous people in the Northern Territory. Do you remember when the Australian government intervened to protect Aboriginal children? They sent the army in, they sent the army, they deployed the army on on Australian soil. Families were torn apart, lives were torn apart and it it was for political gain. Uh, That entire thing was done as a reaction to and in direct contradiction of the recommendations of a report which preceded that intervention. So the intervention said, like, whatever you do, don't do this. And that's what, yeah, that's what it did. And it was not cheap. It cost a lot of money. But, but rather than use that money to provide resources that the, the families and the communities desperately needed to overcome the systemic disadvantage, the, the people, the Aboriginal people, were instead blamed for their choices in life, to, to practice their culture, to live on their country, to care for their country. And... It was hundreds of millions of dollars that was spent on that intervention, but very, very little of it was actually spent on ways to address the systemic disadvantage, Um, healthcare, job creation, programs to support people coming out of high school or transitioning into adulthood. Very, very little of money was spent on that. Had there been a voice, had there been a mechanism for that cultural submission to you know, to the people making that policy going, hey, if you want to do this, you know, in that part of the country, this is the, this is the way to do it. That would probably work better than, you know, rolling the army in. There could have been a, a far more positive experience from that intervention rather than just add to the trauma of uh, our indigenous people. Because what happened in 2007 is just another moment in a long line of trauma, disadvantage, dispossession that stretches back all the way to first contact with, with Europeans. We didn't really learn it in my primary school because I went to school in Queensland, but their land was taken. They were moved off the, the country, the the country which you know supported them and all their stories and culture were based around. Now, that's how their way of life. That's how they fed themselves. That was their supermarket. They were moved to areas far away from their country. They were they were forced to work, you know, not for cash but for rations. Their children were taken away. Their children were taken away. A culture. Was torn apart, was ridiculed in some places, was made illegal to practice in some parts of Australia. It was illegal to speak your own language, and yet this culture survives and continues to survive and continues to fight for recognition and trying to just recognise that these injustices were done. And it's it's hard because, you know, in our country there's a there's an entire industry that lobbies governments. It's a massive massive industry. Ah, You see it in defence and such. You know. Because before governments in Australia can enact a law, they, they consult. They consult wide, widely. You know, they look for groups, they look for the people affected, they talk to different people, different companies, and they figure out how is this going to work before this law gets enacted, how is this going to... They, they look at how this law will affect people who are, you know, in Australian society. And inserted into that process of consultation, there's an entire industry devoted to lobbying Australian governments to tweak those laws and push those laws in favour of particular groups of people. The lobbyists of the fossil fuel industry, famously for casinos, for gambling, groups that have vested interests that make like billions of dollars. I'm talking billions and billions of dollars when the government laws go and favour them and go in their direction. Now, despite what you might have heard or read in various broadcast outlets, Indigenous people are not wanting to make money from government decisions. They just want what you or I would want. Just want to be consulted when the government is considering enacting a law that impacts them. All right? Just to consider those, be able to consider those laws, consider the consequences, and then talk about that with the government before. And the government can decide to not listen, but they will know and there will be a process of them being told and you now have this submission and here's what we, and we'll make it public and, you know, the government could ignore it if they want. And just to be able to have that as a part of the process of enacting the law before the law becomes locked in. Democracies only work when we are willing to fight for our democracy and letting lobbyists steer a government, well, what's it gotten into us with the, the fossil fuel and the mining industry, you know, with the gambling industry, doesn't work out great. Doesn't work out great. It certainly doesn't work out great for all of us and it certainly undermines the process of democracy and the, the stuff I heard this morning, in that radio station. It, look, I really, really, really want to believe that it was not a direction from above. I really do. It sounded really close to the thing that I heard in a similar station from the similar network on the other side of the country. I really want to believe that it wasn't a direction from above. So, look, you can't fight that kind of thing. You can't fight that, that level of volume. So much like our transition to clean energy where we're gonna to have to do this ourselves. You know, we're the world leaders in rooftop solar, not because our government put subsidies and you know, no, because we just, we just decided we're, we're gonna do it. And we're, we're gonna do it because we have to do it. It's an economically efficient way to do it. We're gonna do it ourselves. And then, you know, policy started to catch up. We have to do this too. We have to. Indigenous people need our support. They need our support to change the constitution so we can move forward together We cannot change our history, but voting yes, by doing that, we can indeed work towards a future that embraces Indigenous people, their culture, their wisdom, and we can all walk forward to a better future for all of us. It's not just a voice. It's... It's 65,000 years of culture and tradition, it's representation, it's inclusion, it's a chance to be consulted in a law that will affect Indigenous people directly. I mean, it's, it's what any of us would want. Just imagine if decisions about your life in your particular suburb were made by people from the other side of the country without even asking you. I don't know, let's say living live in Cairns, all right, and someone in Hobart is deciding building codes, And they've said, oh, no, 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 you can't have gigantic sliding doors that open so your entire home can be opened out through the air. That's a terribly, terribly inefficient way to to work it. No, there's no way. It's got to be triple insulated and any gas heating year out. Like, what? That makes no sense. You're trying to make a decision about my life. You have no idea what it is to live in my community or in my country. It makes no sense. That's a terribly shallow way of describing how it would feel to have a choice made about your life from someone who doesn't know about your life. It's, it's important when you're speaking with people, whether it be at work or your family, when you're having conversations like this, they can be tricky, especially when it's someone who's held on to that belief for a long time, possibly decades. I possibly grew up with it. If you went to my primary school and you never challenged it, you would still believe why those jokes are funny. I remember coming home telling my mum jokes and she went, Never ever say those jokes again. They are not funny. And she, you know, I was six or five or whatever. But there's other people that might have still held on to that and had that belief with them for this long. And when an opinion or an idea kind of melds onto someone's brain for that long, it becomes a part of their identity. It becomes a part of their self-definition. And if you challenge that opinion or challenge that idea, it's like saying you've been wrong your whole life. It's no longer a debate, it becomes very emotional. Even though it's the idea you're talking about, not the person, if they've held onto that idea for a long time, it will feel like you're attacking them as a person. You're a terrible person, you're wrong. And so allow the space for that, okay? Because that's a possibility, a strong possibility. If you look back over history, so many really big societal shifts have happened because younger generations have challenged the status quo of older generations. Uh, For example, um, in in the US, the uh, civil rights movement questioned the entrenched racial biases of the older generations. And it's essential that we need to approach these discussions with empathy, with understanding and with patience. You can start by asking the people in your office or in your family or your mates, ask them about their understanding of the referendum And often you'll probably find that their resistance just comes from misinformation or a lack of clarity. Not really understanding what's going on because we're busy, people got busy things, we're busy. It's really a very simple question just to insert a line into the constitution of Australia that allows the existence of an advisory body representing the voice of First Nations Aboriginal people. Everything else, everything else, how it works, the model of how it works, what it looks like, everything else will be debated will be decided in the parliament. The details of how it will work will be decided by the current government, even the people who are, you know, lying. I can't believe it's legal to do it, but lying in parliament about what the referendum means. Those very people will be the ones who help decide what it looks like. And if there's something that about the advisory body that isn't great, a government can go to an election with a promise to change something about it. It's going in the constitution so the next government can't just dismantle it like they did with ATSIC and stuff like that. So one government sets it up, the next one pulls it down. That's been going on for years, but it's going in the constitution so it can't be dismantled. How it works, how it looks, like if there's something about it that people go, you know what, it'd be better if there was this many people, it would be better if you know they, they use this in the process. You could go to an election with that as an election promise and people could then participate in how it changes like you you'll still get to shape it in how it goes along no government system is right for goodness sakes we vote in a new federal government every three years because my god those guys haven't got it right you know you'll be able to vote to change things with this as well it is going to be okay it's not about extra rights it's about equal representation i'm sure you're going to get pushback try to listen, try to really listen. Even if you disagree, let them share what they're afraid about. Let them share what they're concerned about. It's often not about the voice, but honestly, it's mostly about change, the loss of control. It's going to take a while. Stick with it. Because the moral question that we're being asked on October the 14th is pretty simple. Do we support the idea of recognising first Australians in the constitution by giving them a voice when it comes to matters that affect them? Now, I know how I feel about this personally. you can hear it in my voice. It's a very strong, very emotional reaction that I feel inside me. And I don't know when I have that kind of reaction, that kind of passionate, emotional, kind of flooding reaction, I need to check that emotion, because I know that feelings aren't facts. I know that. So I check, I check that. I check. Is this feeling? Is this backed up? Is there evidence to back this feeling at this? Is the right thing to do? Over 30 years ago, 32 years ago now, there was a landmark Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. It ran for nearly four years and quite starkly laid out the root cause of the frankly shocking amount of people who died in custody. And it laid out the root cause as, and this is a quote, the deliberate and systematic disempowerment First Nations Australians have faced since colonisation. There's a line in the findings of that Royal Commission which explains the systemic nature of how these awful deaths befell these specific people in our community. And this is another quote Decisions were made about them and for them and imposed upon them. The report concluded that the only way to bring it in to this systemic disadvantage was First Nations empowerment. Now that report was handed down in 1991. We have a chance to change history. It's more than indigenous lives at stake if, if you needed more than that. It's the moral heart of our country. Are we a nation that is kind? Are we a nation that thinks of others? Are you voting no out of fear? The lie is that by voting yes, it means less for you. I'd say it's quite the opposite. Voting yes is a vote to possibility, for empathy, for deployment of programs that save lives, save time and ultimately save money. We've got to have these conversations. Got to try. Got to try again. We have to. This is our moment. We've got to do it. On Monday... You'll hear from Thomas Mayo. He's going to join us to talk about this more. He's a stunningly powerful man. I can't wait for you to meet him. I didn't think I'd do half an hour on that, but clearly I've been thinking about this a long time. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt this episode was useful, if you'd like to share it with someone, please do that. There may be a part of it that is useful to someone in your life who doesn't know about this podcast yet, and uh, they might find this handy to have. If they want to have a conversation with someone that they're challenged with, Thank you so much Andy Mar for audio and video post on this episode, Abby Beno for producing the show, Toehider, who made all the music, and you for listening. Send off your email at gmail.com. I'd love to know your thoughts. I'll see you Monday with Thomas Mayo. Have a good weekend.